uncradio.com. It's 10 o'clock. the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, on this lovely June 2nd, 2012, 10.01 in the morning here at the University of Northern Colorado, UNC, on uncradio.com. That is the place to hear this radio station streaming 24-7 on your internets. Also, you can find out uh, more about this particular radio program called Dave's Gone By at davesgoneby.com. Or you can just listen to me describe it right now, because we're starting Dave's Gone By, our 388th episode. We've been doing them since October of 2002, and still going strong and still having an absolute blast doing it. My name is Dave Lefkowitz, and I'm very excited, first of all, about next week's show. And not to disparage this week's, not to say you should turn off your computers and your radios right now and and say, well, he's he's already talking about next week. His mind isn't on this one. It's a sports team that uh, fails the week before because they go have a big game against their most fierce competitor a week away. And then they end up losing to, you know, the Chicago Cubs the week before. Anyway, no, no, this is a wonderful show, too, but I just want to prep you for the fact that next week's show, June 9th, is going to start at noon instead of 10 Mountain Time, and it's going to run four hours instead of three, and it's going to be all about Broadway. It's our eighth annual Total Theater Tony Awards special. I'll tell you more about it later, but I just wanted to put that out there in the ozone for all of you listening to let you know that we usually have a wonderful, we always have a wonderful time 
at the Total Theater Tony Award Special. We play music, we talk to guests, we have a Tony nominee that we'll be talking to, and I'll tell you who it is a bit later. Okay, there you go. That's next week. Now, let's go back to this week and tell you what's going to be happening on the show. It's going to be cool. First of all, we do our Saturday segues. This is where uh, we play songs grouped around a certain theme, kind of like what Pete Fornatel has been doing or had been doing for a couple of decades. We sort of put our Saturday segues out there now out as an homage to the late Pete Fornatel from uh, WFUV Radio. Just to, just to give a tip of the cap, just to say, hey, he may not have invented the form, and he certainly wasn't the only one doing that kind of thing, but uh, you know, he was among the brightest and the best doing it. And, and keeping doing it for many, many years. So when I play a Saturday segue, I tip my hat to Pete. And we're going to do two Saturday segues on this episode of Dave's Gone By. One of them will be about, uh, well, in reference to the fact that we're doing our Tony show next week, we're going to play a few show tunes, classic show tunes, new show tunes, Broadway theater music. I don't play that much of it on this show. People say sometimes that I dwell on the theater a little too much because this show is more of an eclectic everything show. And I love theater, so I tend to... I want to do my Inside Broadway segment, and I want to do... The, I, I play, but I don't really play that much theater music, except, of course, next week, and we'll have a Saturday segue today of some Broadway show tunes. The other Saturday segue, I'll get to that in a moment. But we also have on this program Bob Dylan, sooner and later. That's our weekly Bob Dylan Segment. It didn't it sound like I was going to say that uh, Bob Dylan was here in the studio? <laughs> Is it we have in our, on our program? Oh, yeah. Well, we're doing a Saturday segue, and well, next week's show is big, but this week, well, we got Bob Dylan. No, I wish, but not quite working like that. No, we just have Bob Dylan music to play, as we do every week. We choose a few songs from all different times of his career, sooner and later. But this one is going to be special fun, because there was an article. In like I read online, I forget from what paper I, I have that somewhere, but um, they listed the ten goofiest moments in the whole life and career of Bob Dylan because he won that uh, he got that Congressional Medal of Freedom last week. Obama gave him this medal that he hung around his neck, and of course Bob Dylan, being Bob Dylan, shows up and wears sunglasses, even meeting the President of the United States for the greatest honor a non-military person can bequeath or can get, be bequeathed, from America, other than like the Purple Heart, which goes to people wounded in wars. Basically, the, the Congressional Medal of Honor is like the number two award you can possibly get in this country. Bob Dylan shows up graciously, dressed in a suit, whatever, wearing sunglasses, dark sunglasses, through the whole thing. A statement of him for being forever cool. My wife suggested, well, perhaps he had some weed in him. And he want people seeing his uh, bloodshot eyes, you know, considering the, the president's flip-flop on marijuana laws and things like that. Who knows? All I know is it's another goofy moment in quite a lot of them for the Bobster. And so there was this article about him, and all it listed the weirdest, strangest moments in Bob Dylan's career and so we're going to list those, we're going to tell you what those were, and play songs that correspond to the Goofy list. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. That's going to be almost, almost my favorite part 
of this episode of Dave's Gone By. But don't forget, we'll also be going inside Broadway, where we will talk about a little theater news, play those show tunes. I'll be reviewing the hit Broadway comedy One Man, Two Governors, which uh, I saw when I was in New York about three, four weeks ago. And most importantly, we have a special guest. Speaking of theater, okay, yes, I am, I am doing a lot of theater on this episode. But dig this. There's a, a guy who's off-Broadway now in a little show that has been running almost consecutively for 50 years. It's called The Fantastics. You've heard of it. Tom Jones, Harvey Schmidt. They wrote this little show back in 1962, I think it was, at the Sullivan Street Playhouse. And played there for years and years and years, and then it closed for a year. And then they they brought it right back to Off-Broadway in virtually the same kind of production, just in a different place. It's at the Snapple Theater Center now. And for a while, the guy playing the old actor in the show, there's a role there in the Fantastics for someone who's kind of a wise but senile old fool. Now, that was played for many months of this run by the guy who co-wrote the show, Tom Jones. So he's not in it anymore, but he's prepping other people to play Henry, the old fool. And the current person who's going to play that for the next three weeks is John Davidson. Anybody remember him? I realize anybody under like 25 or even 30 years old is looking at the radio or, or their computer screen with a blank stare now, or furiously Googling but if you're my age, which is 48, or a little younger, or a lot older, you'll remember him being ubiquitous on television, from being a panelist on the Hollywood Squares, to having his own talk show for a season or two, to being um, the second person to moderate, Was it? I guess it was the, the Pyramid, the $10,000 Pyramid. Also, he was one of the hosts on That's Incredible, All that stuff going on, lots and lots and lots of TV hosting duties for John Davidson. Plus, he appeared on Broadway with Burt Lahr. He appeared on television with Burt Lahr and Ricardo Montalban in a staging of the Fantastics, because dig it, in the TV showing of the Fantastics, John Davidson played the young man. He played little Matt you know, who falls in love with a young girl, and then they fight, and blah, blah, blah. Well, here it is, 40-something years later, and now John Davidson's playing the old man. And now, John Davidson, 70 and doing great, is going to be in the neighborhood with us in, well, not too far from now, right after our first Saturday segue. So, yeah, we'll be talking to John Davidson. We'll be going inside Broadway. We'll be playing Bob Dylan music, and we will be having our Saturday segues. Kind of a cool Dave's Gone By here this morning on uncradio.com. But let's get to our first Saturday segue, which is, I'm calling it Born and Unicorn, because finally the left wing is hitting back a little bit. Where I I wouldn't say that I'm left left wing, but I'm certainly left of center when it comes to politics. And I'm certainly worried, as I think we all must be, for no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you had to take the week's news on the economy and jobs as a bad sign. I mean, the stock market's been going down. The uh, and Then they added, what was it, 64,000 jobs, which is 
certainly better than not adding jobs or losing jobs, but it was less than half of what was expected and predicted for job growth in this country. And now, certainly Democrats have to be a little worried. There's now a real chink in President Obama's armor, President Obama's armor when he goes to run for president again in November. Because you know, it's, it's, let's face it, the incumbent has a lot of things in his favor. You know, as long as things aren't in a terrible depression, you know, and, and there isn't other stuff going on, or terrible scandals going on, he's got certainly that, that pulpit from which to ask for another four years to raise money. He has the profile that any contender, no matter how rich, will have trouble matching. So Obama looked like he could coast because things have been turning around. Democrats always have to remind everybody because nobody has any memory anymore. Everybody has Alzheimer's about everything after three weeks or four weeks in this world. But let's, let's not forget the previous eight years before Barack Obama took office, just how this country slid into the toilet. I'll never forget John Stewart saying about George W. Bush, he broke America. <laughs> he broke. Turns out it is kind of fixable. It's the way everybody felt about New York after Mayor Beam and Ed Koch got through with it. And then Mayor Giuliani came in. And as a nutcase as Giuliani was and probably is, and as controlling and sort of dictatorial and overstepping as he sometimes tended to be, he took those first four years as mayor of New York and, and New York City, and turned the place around. You know, New York was really, it was, impossible. it was dangerous, it was dirty, it was filthy, there was graffiti everywhere, there were drugs and crack, and, it was wretched. And not that he fixed New York, but at least he slapped a new coat of paint on it before, well, <laughs> before Mayor Bloomberg sold it to Disney and to, to Japan. But anyway, it, it is doable. So when Obama came in on that rush of hope and change and all that, and people thought, well, it can't get any worse. <laughs> we got to get somebody else in there and no more Republicans. But they also would not give Obama a chance for a while. I mean, from the first day, the Republicans were on him. Well, things haven't turned around yet. Well, oh, sure, he was going to create, where are the jobs? Oh, he's going to fix things by throwing money at it, just like a typical tax-and-spend Democrat. You throw money at the problem and more money at the problem, more money, and you you fix something for six months, and then the seventh month, boom, you're you're back sliding downhill. There is something to that, don't get me wrong. But, of course, what the Republicans can say is that they got us in this mess to begin with and that their ideas aren't any better, (laughs) you know. So... Things were kind of coasting along because had the stock market, or assuming that the stock market stays kind of level and is okay, and assuming that gas prices stay at least under like four dollars, right? Um, then Obama seemed like okay. He's not a miracle worker. He's reneged on some promises, and there's some things that he just hasn't been able to do as fast as we would want him to do, or hope him to do, or expect him to do, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, if we start really going on a downhill slope, which I think, again, I've said this on the air quite a few times, is related to gas prices. 
once those gas prices pushed up over three bucks, people started slamming their their pocketbooks shut. Employers would stop hiring because they need to save their money for gas and oil and electric and cars and shipping and for I mean it all it all adds up, you know. You don't think so, and and there's always that thing. Well, Americans pay less money for gas than most other countries in the world. Petroleum, they're paying five dollars, five euro in Europe and Western Europe, whatever. Sure, okay, maybe everywhere but Venezuela, they are paying more money than we are. But that doesn't mean that someone who's used to getting by uh, on their paycheck, on whatever money they get, whatever money they have in the bank, and going to the tank and filling up for two dollars a gallon, suddenly they're paying two and a half, uh, three and a half dollars a gallon, and there's there goes the discretionary income. There goes the uh, extra three days of vacation, the plane trip they were going to take, the, the white screen TV they were going to buy. And there goes the employer hiring one or two extra people because now it costs more to light and heat the building that the office is in because the landlord raises the rent because it costs more money. to You know, it all, it all filters through. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just saying this is the moment that I've started to be a little bit worried you know, because the Republicans, they can they can make nonsensical claims about Obama. They can have ridiculously raised expectations about Obama. They can throw the fact that we're in incredible debt right now in this country without saying that Clinton left us with a surplus that George Bush initially turned into a debt that the Democrats are trying to dig us out of. But OK, I mean, it's all you throw all that stuff around. The one thing you can throw around is job numbers. I mean, it's very funny if you read the uh, the newspapers online, as I do, and I especially read the New York papers like the New York Post and the New York Times. And if you go to the Post especially or uh, the Huffington Post, which are opposite sides, certainly, uh, you'll get the real split and you'll see a lot of the Republicans saying that when the new numbers came out for job creation, they said, oh, oh, horrendous. Oh, my God. See, finally, Obama's going to be knocked down for this. And, oh, this is what – what amazes me and what one person did right in the little uh, – you know, when, when people can respond to the news story underneath. Well, it, it's been funny because as the job numbers were pretty decent the past few months, as uh, unemployment and job creation numbers were at least – you know, unemployment was going down a bit. Job numbers going up a little bit. It was slow, slow recovery, but it seemed like actual, real, steady recovery. And all the Republicans could say about that was either that it was, you know, not enough. Uh, it's been three years. It should be much, much more than this. Or the great one is that, of course, well, everybody lies with numbers. The Democrats are lying. They're massaging the numbers. They're making them up. They're not real. You know, they're not counting all these people out of work. Blah blah blah. Fine, okay, but then these exact same people are taking the new numbers that came out verbatim. Now that the numbers are no good, now that they're negative, now that they show the Obama administration in a bad light, suddenly the Republicans are turning around and say, oh, oh, well, these are, oh, you see, you see, this is what we've been saying. Funny, (laughs) funny how last month's numbers, two months' numbers ago, were completely, you couldn't trust them. They're absolutely made up and ridiculous. But, oh, no, but these are, these are real. <laughs> Coming from the same exact place. And so, finally, 
Against all that nonsense, the left is hitting back a little bit, especially because of what happened with Mitt Romney meeting with Donald Trump a couple of days ago, and Romney wisely distancing himself from Trump. Now, Trump is a marvelous self-promoter. He has a marvelous way of creating a brand and uh, creating a persona that people want to watch on television. Okay, that is a real talent. I give him that. But as other people, Louis Black has pointed out, I think John Stewart has pointed out, that Trump has run casinos. Trump has run casinos that have gone bankrupt. Now, casinos are basically money-printing factories, even more than banks are. You know, there's, banks don't have, or, or casinos don't even have the risks with money that banks do. Casino might pay off some guy $20,000 and make that guy's life for the night. Meanwhile, that same night, the casino built half a million dollars like about everybody else in that casino. And yet somehow Trump's casino manages to go bankrupt. Not once, apparently, but twice. A couple of his projects have. And yet he's Teflon. He bounces back. And he's considered some sort of genius as far as running companies and corporations. Maybe he is. Maybe everything eventually has to go bankrupt on some level. But he's also the, uh, what shall we say, the progenitor mostly of this continuing birther controversy. Was Barack Obama born in America? Well, his mom was. <laughs> okay. You know, or, or whatever. It, it's... He's produced the birth certificate, which, of course, the Republicans don't believe is valid. You know, and they're, they're pointing, I think, what is to one book, one biography somewhere of Obama that say he was actually born in Kenya. And now, of course, the um, Republicans use that with a little bit of a racist undertow, I think, calling him the Kenyan. Ha, ha, ha. You know, he's not. He's American. He's allowed to be president. He's well, or and, and let's just, for the sake of argument, let's just even say that Obama really was born in Africa, which would not make him a legitimate presidential candidate. It is just payback for George W. Bush not being elected the first time, but being appointed by judges. So I, I think that kind of balances out, don't you? You know, about George Bush got in the first time when the Democrats really won the popular vote, but judges said, no, 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 you know, we're, we're Republican judges, we have the majority, so George Bush wins. Huh. So much for democracy there, ladies and gentlemen. And then, yeah, fair enough, Bush did win the next four years legitimately. So here's Obama, and let's say by some fluke or whatever, he really wasn't born here. Okay. That washes the hands clean. But what I love is that there's this um, group called Left Action that is now doing the unicorn movement. Have you heard about this? This is where they are saying that um, Mitt Romney needs to prove that he is not a unicorn. How does he do this? Just, uh, I mean, he can produce a birth certificate, but really does, you know, that's just, they could fake that. You know, and maybe when the doctor signed off on the birth certificate, um, Romney was able to hide his horn. Maybe his horn is under that funny underwear the Mormons have to wear. We don't know. And yet, if Barack Obama has to keep relentlessly proving 
that he is 100% pure-born American, by gosh, shouldn't Mitt Romney have to prove that he is 110% actual American human, that he was not unicorn-born? I think it's fair. <laughs> and I think it's just a nice way for the, um, for the Democrats to get back a little, to say, okay, okay, Fox News, Okay, Republicans, okay, right wing, you've had your nonsense, you've had your moment, now we're going to show you up with a little taste of your own satirical medicine. So, in honor of that, I thought I would play some songs for our Saturday segue this morning that have to do with birth, since it's a whole birther thing, being born, and unicorns. Yeah, that's how we're going on this particular episode of Dave's Gone By. We'll begin with the Irish Rovers. A long time ago when the earth was green And there was more kinds of animals than you'd ever seen They'd run around free when the earth was being born But the loveliest of them all was the unicorn There was green alligators and long-necked geese some humpty-back camels and some chimpanzees Some cats and rats and elephants, for sure as you're born The loveliest of all was the unicorn Now God seen some sinning and it gave him pain And he says, stand back, I'm going to make it rain He says, hey brother Noah, I'll tell you what to do Build me a floating zoo And take some of them green, green alligators and long-necked geese Some humpty-back camels and some chimpanzees Some cats and rats and elephants, but sure as you're born Don't you forget my unicorn Old Noel was there to answer the call he finished up making the ark just as the rain started falling. He marched in the animals two by two, and he called out as they went through. Hey, Lord, I got you green, green alligators and long-necked geese, some humpty-back camels and some chimpanzees, some cats and rats and elephants, but Lord, I'm so forlorn, I just can't see no unicorn. Then Noah looked out through the driving rain Them unicorns were hiding, playing silly games Kicking and splashing while the rain was pouring Oh, them silly unicorns There was green alligators and long-necked geese Some humpty-back camels and some chimpanzees Noah cried, close the door, cause the rain is pouring and we just can't wait for no unicorn. The ark started moving, it drifted with the tide. And then unicorns looked up from the rocks and they cried. And the waters came down and sort of floated them away. And that's why you never seen a unicorn to this very day. You'll see green alligators and long-necked geese Some humpty-back camels and some chimpanzees 
Some cats and rats and elephants, but sure as you're born, you're never going to see no
Mark's in the hospital right now, but so you don't forget whose program this is, here he is singing his favorite song. I don't think songs need a lot of words. I like to keep things simple. This is a song about my childhood.
This guy has to be a birther. It, it just it has to be. That's Mark Kennis with his song, Heart of the Heartland, a, a classic of sorts. Uh, I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Mark Kennis uh, has been a politician. I think he's he's dead now. Uh, he ran for mayor or governor or some kind of local seat of office. Did not win, basically because it found out that he was an abusive husband and also really, really severely mentally disturbed. But he has made music, collected by Erwin Schusid on his Songs of the Key of Z, Volume 2 collection. Um... This song is called Heart of the Heartland. It goes on. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. You're holding your ears now. You're you're gritting your teeth. But I guarantee, late at night, tonight, 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to be trying to get to sleep. And the music that's going to be in your head is going to be Mark Kennis singing this. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Now, I want to be clear about something here. I'm not restarting the same song over and over again from the beginning. This is the song continuing um, to its <laughs> to its bigger end. The, the, the amazing thing is that the track is only four minutes long. The first 30 seconds is the talking that you heard. And actually, the, the last 15 seconds is kind of silence. But in between, you have three minutes 
and 45 seconds of this. And amazingly, it feels like 10. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. But wait, there's more. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. As I said, I did some some Googling and some research on Mark Kennis and was able to find out that all that stuff of, um, you know, his career and the bad stuff in his life. And I think his wife is still alive and well and and even has a son or a grandson. But the one thing I I wasn't able to find out about the author of this song, Mark Kennis, is, um, is where he grew up. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. And that is basically, I'm, I'm saying that's where it ends. That's where this recording of the song ends. One wonders if at that particular recording session, which was likely on a cassette recorder, if it went on uh, from there and didn't really stop until dinner time or sleep or drink overtook him. Because how do you, uh, how do you stop a song like this? This is a song about my childhood. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. All right, I did cheat there. I did start the song from... uh, from the beginning. The song is called Heart of the Heartland. In case you missed it or you, you weren't paying attention, it kind of goes like this. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. Are you singing along yet? Has has the the melody have the lyrics hooked their way into your mind, <clears throat> into your minds, into your brains? Do you see this as the song that they will be playing at the Republican National Convention? I certainly do. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in I. 
in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Now you have to understand, I'm originally from New York, and so you've got New York, New York, a hell of a town, da, 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 you know, so many songs about the Big Apple, and of course, start spreading the news, I'm leaving today, I want to be a part of it in old New York. Pretty good songs, pretty good songs, they, they tell a little about the city, they're tuneful, but do they really have the force the vehemence, the vigor of this particular song about Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. Okay, no, nobody's calling, so either <laughs> either you're liking this, or or you've got into some sort of horrid trance uh, while while you folks are listening to this to try and avoid the wonder, the miracle that is Mark Kennis from Songs in the Key of Z, Volume Two, the collection Heart of the Heartland, capping our. Saturday segue of Born in the Unicorn songs. We heard, well, actually, that, that song wasn't about birth or unicorns. It was, I, I, the funny thing is I've heard that song a dozen times. And, of course, if you've heard that song a dozen times, it means that you've listened to it technically 4,000 times. And yet I, I thought it was I was born in the heart of the heartland, not I grew up in the heart of the heartland. So I, I've been getting it wrong this whole time. And so when I clicked on the song, I expected to hear, I was born in the heart of the heartland, instead of, I grew up in the heart of the heartland, I grew up in Iowa. Where'd you grow up? Mark Kennis. So anyway, that is why I ended up closing the Born and Unicorn Saturday segue with that song somewhat incorrectly, which is rather appropriate since the guy who found that song and collected it was Erwin Schusid, who created that whole incorrect music movement. Anyway, the other songs we heard in that set of uh, Born and Unicorn songs included Judy Collins doing Born to the Breed, the, a couple of uh, instrumentals there. The quick one was from Nick Drake called Horn, which we all know is what Mitt Romney is hiding under his hairpiece. Lori Anderson, Born Never Asked, from her first album, Big Science. The Magnetic Fields, I Was Born. Kate and Anna McGarrigal doing First Born. Robin Hitchcock and the Venus Three, Born on the Wind. And we started up top with the Irish Rovers and the Unicorn. It is 11 o'clock in the morning here at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By, episode number 388. And it's called That's Credible because it's uh, in honor of our guest 
in the neighborhood, a guy who's been doing TV and theater for, well, gosh, 40, 50 years now. He, uh, one of his main things that he got a start in was appearing on the, uh, on Broadway in Foxy, opposite Burt Lahr, and then he got a role in the Fantastic as the Fantastics as the young man. He played the young man in the TV version of the Fantastics, which also had Ricardo Montalban and Stanley Holloway and Burt Lahr. And then he went on to do a bunch of other things, lots and lots of TV shows, including. Well, that's incredible, as well as hosting the $10,000 Pyramid, or maybe it was $100,000 by the time he got to it, and, uh, oh gosh, a ton of other stuff. You've seen him a zillion times. He was, what was it, the, um, the singer most chosen to host The Tonight Show when Johnny Carson was away. So he did that too. John Davidson hosted his own TV talk show as well. And now he's back in the Fantastics off Broadway for just three weeks. He's playing Henry, the old actor, in this classic little off-Broadway musical that is still there. It's playing at the Snapple Theater Center. And so we welcome the one and only John Davidson. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Let, let, let's hear someone who can really sing John Davidson.
days gone by on this fine Saturday morning. And one thing that uh, I'm noticing, especially this summer, is um, actors and performers who are going back to their stomping grounds and their roots, even though they've spent years and years doing other things. We just got the news that Pat Sajak, the Wheel of Fortune guy, is going to be spending a couple of weeks in the summer in Connecticut doing The Odd Couple with an old friend of his. And I think that's kind of cool. And now we're hearing that someone who actually has been doing theater again for a while, but it's kind of cool that he's doing it in um, a sort of high-profile way back in New York, is John Davidson. Now, you know him from a zillion different game shows. You also would know him from That's Incredible. And, well, if you go back way back in the theater, you have seen him in Oklahoma at uh, City Center and also in State Fair. But right now, for the next couple of weeks, you're going to get to see him off-Broadway in The Fantastics. And he's playing Henry the old actor, so we're very, very happy to have with us in the neighborhood the not-so-very-old John Davidson. Welcome, John. Well, thanks, Dave. Yes, I am very old. I'm, I'm 70 now, and uh, 48 years ago, uh, long before I hosted Hollywood Squares, and that's incredible, and The Tonight Show and all that, I started uh, my very first show out of college. I came to New York and I auditioned for the Hallmark Hall of Fame version of the Fantastics and uh, uh, playing the boy. And my father was, there are two fathers in the Fantastics, Mm -hmm. and my father was Bert Lahr, and uh, the Susan Watson, who played the girl's father, was Stanley Holloway. Wow. um, My fair lady. um, And uh, Ricardo Montalban was El Gallo. So here, 48 years later, now I'm playing uh, the oldest person, and I went from the youngest to the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, the guy who was playing Henry when this semi-new Fantastics first opened, I, I guess I should say the Fantastics, ran for years and years, like 40 years off-Broadway downtown, and um, had a close, you know, there were some financial stuff, and the original producer died, and the son took over, and then it kind of went away, but only for a year and a half, and they made sure to reopen it, that it's playing at the Snapple Theater Center, so it's almost as if it hadn't closed at all, because it's almost the same production, it's just in another space, but the, the person before you, one of them, playing Henry, the old actor, was Tom Jones himself, the guy who, who co-wrote the show. So that's pretty heavy shoes to be stepping into, don't you think? Well, the, the thrill of it uh, was that uh, I've known Tom Jones for years, and, and when I auditioned for it uh, 48 years ago for The Boy, I auditioned for Tom Jones. We should make sure that people know that this is not the guy who's saying right. it's not unusual. Uh, this is the Tom Jones, of course, that wrote the Fantastics, uh, the book and the lyrics. Um, the great thing about coming into it, into his shoes, is that he directed me. I spent three days now this past week uh, working actually with Tom Jones on the role. Wow. And uh, gotten some very positive feedback from him. It reminds me of when I did Oklahoma. I did a revival of Oklahoma in, oh boy, when I first got to the city uh, after the Fantastics, but uh, 65. I did Oklahoma actually with Susan Watson as well. And uh, mm-hmm. Richard Rogers came in for the last three days. Richard Rogers directed me for the last uh, two days, really. So uh, I, I've had a chance to work with some pretty great people. 
the interesting thing that Tom Jones did, when he played the old actor, he made up a false bio. He called himself uh, Bruce Thomas. Or Thomas Bruce, actually. Yeah, you flipped it, yeah. Thomas, Thomas Bruce, that's right. Uh-huh. But you know a lot of stuff. Uh, Thomas Bruce. And he made up a fake bio of Shakespearean shows that he'd done, you know, and it was just so wonderful to do it that way. And, and uh, in, now, in this program, it'll be my real bio. <laughs> It'll be the actual John Davidson. Pleasure work, working with uh, Tom Jones. Yeah. Well, well, can I ask? You, you're, you're dropping these names, which is very exciting, but we want to hear anecdotes. I want to hear do you have any memories of working with Burt Lahr on TV, either on stage or backstage? Any thoughts on Burt Lahr? Oh, yes. I, at that time, um, I was fortunate to. My first Broadway show was called Foxy at the old uh, Ziegfeld Theater on 54. Fourth and sixth. It's a big office building there now. Um, I played uh, Bert Lars' son in what turned out to be Bert Lars' last Broadway musical. Bert Lars, as everyone knows, was the cowardly lion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I played his son. And uh, then when the Fantastics came along, we were cast together, I guess, for him to play my father in the Hallmark Hall of Fame version of the Fantastics. Uh, Bert Lars is a real study and his son can't think of his son's name John Lark yeah wrote the book about his father and and uh, of course was very very accurate he Bert Lark was a, a warrior really just a, a, a um, an unhappy man as far as I could see of course I was so young and he was already very old but not a not a happy man and very critical of himself and and very um, very of course he's a gene, comic genius his timing and his bits and stuff are just incredible and he's so he's one of a kind but he never seemed to get it right for himself that was my opinion and that was my feeling in watching him that he was always frustrated that it could be funnier we could make this funnier we, we could do this better and you would see him more brooding but you would never see him laughing or just enjoying himself, at least at that point in his life. I think that's true of many, many funny people. That And that is exactly... I did read the um, the biography by John Lahr of his father, and that is him oh. apparently to a T, and you saw that up close, and, and uh, it was right there, especially in Foxy, uh, apparently. So kind of sad to hear that, but at the same time, you could watch this master at work, you know, day after day, which is pretty amazing. I'm wondering if... And I would... Yeah, sorry. Watch from the wings. In Foxy, I would watch... I would come off stage doing my scene, and then I would watch him most every night because it was never the same. Uh, It it was just a a very creative performer. Uh, And he was very nice to me uh, as a young person in the business. He he showed me... uh, We had a bit where I I had to knock him out, and he showed me how to do a fake punch and... And how every night I knocked out Bert Lahr. <laughs> and uh, he showed me just how to do a, a stage, a fight scene. And uh, it was very nice to a young actor just getting started. That's that's great. Now, I'm wondering also, uh, since you mentioned working on TV in The Fantastics with Ricardo Montalban, was he the same on stage as off, or did he turn into an entirely different person? No, no. Ricardo Montalban is a grand man uh, in his roles and off stage. I. Uh, oh boy I we would have lunch together every day working on the Fantastics and I thought gee if I could be like this guy he 
has a great sense of himself and a great compassion for other people and, and uh, no, it, just a wonderful man uh, I I wanted to be like Ricardo Montalban and I it, it's not a matter of confidence he just uh, he, he has you get the feeling when you're with him that it's not all about him that he's all about other people and that he's confident enough to to take care he's a caregiver and he certainly again he took care of well, the people around him and Mitch, yeah. So I, I really saw him as a kind of a father figure and, and admired him so, so much, yeah. Now, one other name drop thing that I, I want to ask about. In uh, 1996, they actually brought State Fair as a musical to Broadway, and, and you were in that as Abel. And the very, very able, although at that point rather failing producer of that show was the late and rather extraordinary David Merrick. Um it was on his last legs at that point, but still, any Merrick memories? Oh, boy. <laughs> Many. Um, uh, State Fair was a chance to come back to Broadway in a Rodgers and Hammerstein show. It was a new show. Uh, it had a wonderful new book by uh, Tom Briggs and, and another man whose name I can't think of, but Tom Briggs. Um, State Fair is a wonderful musical, but I did not, I never believed myself to be a hog farmer from Iowa, and um, I, I had trouble in that show, I must say. I, I uh, uh, You know, you have to believe that you are the character, and I tried to believe it. I, we did a whole year out of town, and then coming into New York, I never believed myself in that, and I felt, uh, I felt, uh, I was not pleased with my performance. I, I just, uh, I felt it should have been done by a real character guy and, and someone I, I felt the same way when I did Billy Bigelow quite honestly years ago I tried to play Billy Bigelow in Carousel and Billy Bigelow beats his wife uh, you have to believe that here is a guy who has the possibility of beating his wife and I just didn't think that I was rogue enough to be Billy Bigelow so I, there have been several roles in my career that I've had trouble with uh, that and the State Fair was one of them but what saved State Fair uh, is that in the middle of our out-of-town tour, David Merrick uh, signed on to it. I don't know whether he ever knew that he did. Um, there was a lady in his life, uh, an Asian lady, who um, uh, we used to call her Miss Saigon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. But she was uh, a, very, a very strong Asian woman who was kind of running his affairs and would push him around in the wheelchair. At that point, it was hard to tell whether David Merrick uh, knew where he was yeah. or was cognizant. Um, but he also produced Foxy, my first musical. And when he came to see uh, State Fair in Philadelphia, he came backstage and I hugged him and I said, oh, Mr. Merrick, you gave me my start in Foxy and now you're producing State Fair. And he shook his head as if he understood that as if he recognized me, as if, and, and he was smiling, and uh, you, you can't see me, but I'm doing it here, sure. and my wife is laughing at me. Uh, I'm, he made a face and shook as if, he couldn't speak, he couldn't speak at all, but he made a face and shook as if he recognized me, and, and that he liked my performance, and that he realized that he'd been at the start of my career, and now here, here he was producing State Fair. But we never knew uh, right. whether he really knew what he was doing, and... Uh, 
Well, do you have memories, though, of, of Merrick at his prime back in the Foxy years? I didn't realize that he produced that show, too. Do, do you remember Merrick, the the scowling impresario type from 40 oh, years yes. back? Well, yeah. Oh. I, I, I went and met him. Uh, I think his, his office was above the St. James Theater. Could that be? Because that's where the little dolly was at the St. James. Um, I didn't... He may have been at the audition for Foxy, but it was dark out there, and Robert Lewis was the director, and I don't remember whether Merrick was there. But I went and met him with him in his office, and he was smoking a cigar, and just one of the typical old empresario guys. And, yeah. uh, like a, a caricature of a Broadway producer. He, he was the Broadway producer, and oh man, he he made things happen. I mean, he was amazing. So everybody knows that. He's, he's able to... And when Foxy was out of town, uh, David Merrick had two musicals on the uh, on the road. One was called Foxy with Bert Lahr and Larry Blyden, and the other one was called Hello Dolly. And and the word that we got was that Foxy was much better than Hello Dolly. Hello Dolly needed a lot of work. Our champion was working on it, and they were in trouble. That's what we were told. They were in real trouble. Well, Merrick decided to put money into Hello, Hello Dolly and to fix it. And they did. Boy, did they fix it. I mean, it became one of those perfect shows. And he didn't put any more money into Foxy. It just He brought it in just so that it would open. And uh, we got uh, mixed or bad reviews, and uh, it was not well received. Bert Lahr was, I'm sure, but the show, the show was said to not be a winner. But, uh, yeah, Merrick had those two shows at the same time, so we were sort of competing with Hello Dolly and, and he put all his money and effort into fixing Hello Dolly and it became the classic. Wow. Well, we are talking, by the way, with John Davidson, who is in a classic as we speak. He is playing Henry, the old actor, in The Fantastics. You can see it off-Broadway at the Snapple Theatre Center. So we've been talking a ton about theater, and I, and I hope we haven't alienated the folks who, who aren't so much into theater who listen to this program. So let's let's talk TV. Of, of all the shows that you have done, of all the game shows, um, do you have a, a favorite? Oh, um, I, I, I think the greatest experience on television uh, for me was my talk show. I took over from Mike Douglas uh, when Westinghouse decided they wanted to drop Mike Douglas. They came to my manager and said, would John Davidson basically host the Mike Douglas show? Is what it, I mean, it wasn't anything new. So I did, for two years, I hosted the, uh, I became the Mike Douglas in the day time, and uh, that was the, uh, a great experience because I'd have to read, took a course in speed reading, uh, speed reading, I had several authors each week. I had uh, political figures. I had uh, old-time stars and, and new stars in the new series. and So that was great. And then hosting The Tonight Show for Carson. I, I hosted The Tonight Show for Carson more than any other singer. And and uh, the guests that you're having on, uh, on. On those types of talk shows, you, you meet your peers and spend more time with them than you would doing a dramatic show because you're backstage and same was true when I hosted the Hollywood Squares. You 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 do all five shows in one day, and you have dinner with all these main oh. stars. That's a buffet. I, I was the second host of the Hollywood Squares after Peter Marshall was the right. classic host, and then I was the second, and Tom Bergeron was the third. But I, I think uh, there's no one show.
I don't go to Hollywood parties, so uh, I just I, I'm not invited to Hollywood parties. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. It's okay. So that uh, these shows gave me a chance to mingle with my peers, and you you talk a lot of shop talk. You get a lot of ideas, a lot of career ideas, and and uh, you so that, that meeting with your peers um, is very beneficial, and and I I love that because you get to know people in shows. Now, can I ask if you were giving advice to someone on hosting a game show? Um, what would it be? Because, you know, it's a pretty rarefied thing. You don't get that many people who do that professionally on TV. There's really a dozen that you see over and over again over the years. So what would you say would be, like, advice? What, what got you through, besides always smile, I guess? <laughs> uh, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, if it's a celebrity-based thing... Or even if it's not a celebrity you're dealing with, as far as the guests, I think it's to make them shine. The, the idea, being a game show host or a talk show, is to make people shine, uh, bring out the joy, uh, find out what is their strengths, and and try to make the other people shine. Uh, Merv Griffin, of course, was a, a classic example of being able to make <laughs> other people shine, and uh, that I think that's the biggest thing is. To realize that it's not all about you. The game show host is not, let's face it, is not a respected uh, art form. It, it is an art form, but it's not respected. And, and uh, it's a, you're a traffic cop at times, and it's it's a position that you can get better at. I think Dick Clark was was a wonderful game show host. Donnie Osmond got very good at it. Uh, there are other classic, uh, Gene Rayburn and, you know, some of those great... Oh, yeah. But let's face it; it, it is not a. Uh, it, everybody puts puts down game show hosts, and I guess I would say it is an art form like anything else. Um, and but I think the secret to it is to make other people look good and realize it's not all about you. Can I ask you? You mentioned Dick Clark, and I noticed in one of the bios on you, is it true that your dad was the minister when Dick Clark got married? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When Dick married Carrie, his wonderful wife, um, uh, my dad was a retired minister. My dad was a Baptist preacher, uh, and he moved out to California um, uh, near me and my kids. So, um, and he spoke in churches and and did did marriages and funerals, and actually was a part time preacher in his retirement. And he married Kenny Rogers to uh, to Mary Ann, his wife, and he married Dick Clark to his wife. And of course, he married a lot of other people. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I had done a Christmas special with Dick Clark, and so Dick met my father, and my father was on the uh, Christmas special. So he met my father there, and when Dick decided to get married, he asked my father to do the ceremony. Yeah, way cool. Way cool. And, and, and here's the thing that I'm a little bit surprised at. I mean, you're calling from New York, because um, I assume you're doing the Fantastics, and your wife is with you, but normally you guys live in Mexico. Is that what, what, Why did you choose Mexico? Well, actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I probably uh, sent you an old bio. Oops. And it's old. It's only a year old. Um, we, we lived in Mexico. When our youngest child uh, left the nest, we were empty nesters, and we sold the nest. We wanted 
wanted to have an international experience. And so we moved to San Miguel de Allende, which is right in the center of Mexico. Uh, it's nowhere near where the drug cartels are. are <laughs> Thanks for not making me ask that, but I was curious about that. Okay, yeah. So it's very, very safe, uh, San Miguel de Allende. And, you know, uh, the, the, the cable news and, and network news does a does a bad thing for Mexico when we talk about the drug wars because 95% of Mexico is so safe and it's a wonderful culture that we could learn a lot from the Mexican culture and uh, it, traveling in Mexico is in 95% of the country is safe. Now there, there are areas where you should not go especially along the border and Monterrey and of course Juarez and there are places Sonora uh, but you should if you have to go through there, you should fly over them or drive through them very fast and then get to the part of the country. And San Miguel de Allende is so safe and so wonderful. We lived there for six years. We built a house there. We studied my Spanish. Is, I was hoping to be bilingual, but my Spanish is much better. And uh, we, we love Mexico. But there came time where we grew tired of dealing with a third world country. It, it is. It's tough. You want to? I mean, the people are wonderful, so sweet, and everything. But it is a third world country, and we just felt that we wanted to be closer to a, a CVS and a Barnes and Noble, <laughs> and a Whole Foods restaurant. And so we came back to the states uh, last year, and, and uh, but we, we hope to return to Mexico many times. And, and I assume you're out on the West Coast mostly, except for for the show you're doing now. Well, we actually live all over. Uh, we just bought a motorhome. I, I never thought that I would be driving a motorhome. Huh. <laughs> really? Living out of, that's, wow, what is well, that like? We have, we have a home. We have a home in Florida, oh, uh, in near, near uh, Palm Beach, but not in Palm Beach, but uh, Palm Beach County. And we, we also have a motorhome, and that means that we can go and stay for a couple of months with my daughter, who's... Uh, getting her master's at Harvard uh, up in Boston. My daughter's in uh, speech and voice, um, and she's going into academia. She's going to be a college professor, so she's getting her master's at Harvard. So we can take our motor coach up and stay there for for a month or six weeks near Boston, and then my son lives in Baja, Mexico. His wife is Mexican. And my grandchildren live down in Baja. We can take our motor coach down Baja and stay there. So to have a movable second home is a tremendous thing. So I drive and my wife navigates and you'll see these two gray-haired people going by and you'll say, you might say, isn't that John Davidson driving that RV? Oh, very cool. Way cool. And of course, you will see John Davidson doing the Fantastics off-Broadway currently, but I'm, you do a lot of other shows. I didn't make, uh, want to make it sound like you gave up the theater completely for television. Maybe you did for a while, but for the past few years, you've been doing a lot of theater. As a matter of fact, after the Fantastics, you were going into um, Man of La Mancha in New Jersey. Is that true? That's There's a new theater in Barnegat, New Jersey. Um, I used to do a lot of shows at Surflight Theater, which is in LBI down on the Jersey coast, a wonderful theater. Uh, but the producer of Surflight uh, left Flight. His name is Steve Steiner, and he started another uh, theater called the Ocean Professional Theater Company in Barnegat, New Jersey. Thanks for letting me talk about it, because they, they have a whole season of shows lined up, and one of their first shows is Man 
open Fantastics. See, I only do Fantastics from June, from to, from uh, this airs Saturday, so I will have opened last night in the Fantastics, and I run for uh, basically two weeks, right. and then I have a couple, and, and then I open the following Wednesday in, at the Ocean Professional Theater Company in Barnegat, New Jersey. So I'm getting to play these two, oh, there's a similarity, because in the Fantastics I'm playing old Henry, who's an old actor who's uh, senile and and uh, really uh, has phases of dementia, and then I go to play Don Quixote, who is senile and has dementia, and so I'm playing these two old characters. Uh, it's, it's just that Don Quixote sings Impossible Dream, of course. Of course, of course. And, and what's interesting though is you mentioned some other musical roles that you did not feel comfortable with, but one show that apparently you feel extremely comfortable doing and have done is Music Man. What is it about Meredith Wilson's The Music Man that made it like the show for you as a musical theater performer? Um, yeah, I've done uh, several national tours of, of Music Man and, and done it maybe five or six different productions. Um, I, the con man aspect, but the the, uh, the smiley con man and the smooth con man who uh, comes into town and dupes people and, and dupes even Mary and the librarian. Um, somehow I could relate to that. I, I've been I've been fooling people all my <laughs> life into thinking that I'm a good guy. Uh, when I mean I've used my looks and my and my social ease. I'm I'm fairly socially uh, eased. You know, I, I, I can schmooze, you know. Some people can't schmooze, I can schmooze. And, and I can use that for good or bad. And so that's what Harold Hill, the music man, does. He, he's, a, he's a schmoozer, and it's his last-ditch effort to try to make a buck. And I, I don't know, I could really relate to that, that he's a, he's a faker, he's a pretender. And I feel in many ways that I've been pretending all my life. <laughs> Well, did that bother you starting out because you had the good looks and the, the young kind of collegiate thing and the toothy grin and, and the, the gray hair? So coming out with all of that, did was it a two-edged sword? Did you feel like, A, you were putting something over on people, but at the same time, once you started getting established, was there a sense that, oh, they're never going to take me seriously. I'm just going to be the fair-haired blonde boy, and I'll never be considered a serious actor or anything like that. Oh... I don't. I, maybe I should have been bothered by that more. It's never really. I, I would just take the parts that that came in and 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 feel lucky to have them. You know, I was whatever worked. It it seemed to work. And I've just celebrated 50 years in show business, and I I um I think you have to roll with it. And there have been times when when I've wanted. Have there been? Wait, why am I saying that? There have been times when I wanted parts that I couldn't get. Probably not. Because if you go Googling, uh, which which of course I do, um, you'll find a scene of uh, John Davidson doing like the streets of San Francisco, where you apparently play like a, a psychotic, cross-dressing, transvestite killer, singing uh, in female impersonator person. And I'm thinking, you know, that's... That's an actor who wants to be more than, uh, 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 now I'm disparaging game show hosts, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe there was that point where was, oh, let me take this role, because they'll see I'm not just dot, 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 the guy on the album covers. I guess. I guess so. 
a website. I want to let people know they can go to johndavidson.com. There's a ton of nostalgic stuff plus new stuff there. You have a uh, – how old is that CD uh, going like 60 that, that you put? Was that when you were 60 or is that more recent? No, that's 10 years old. And uh, oh. there's a song in there I wrote called 60 Sucks. And I've, I've uh, changed the song now. I still do it in my act. See, I perform live. I, I do my act all over still. And I change it to 70 Sucks. And when I get to be 80, I'll go to call it 80 aches, I guess. Well, does, does 70 suck for you? I mean, you're, you're, you seem to be in prime tip-top health condition. Have you slowed down at all? Do you feel the aches and pains? Oh, yes. Oh, oh my God. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's, not, it's depressing getting old. It sucks. I mean, you, you, it, you're stiff. You're, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be alive, and I'm thankful that but I, I still feel very... I play tennis three days a week, and, and I like to run and bike, and, and I'm very active, but I get I get sore, I, I ache, and uh, get tired, and have to take a nap, and it sucks. Well, all I can say is, as as my people again might say, I hope at some point <clears throat> you're writing a song that that goes 120 sucks. May may you get to that point. So, thanks, Dave. Dave I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much. What a joy. Thank you, John Davidson. Bye bye. I never had a problem with a lady. Quite a hunk, there was no doubt. I flashed my dimples, every heart would melt. My pecs were firm, my body smelt. But now my sorry ass sets are sagging south. I'm sixty. Why did all my muscles go? I'm sixty. I can't get my blood to flow. Look at Dick Clark. Ha! He still rocks. So why, why am I wearing orthopedic socks? Because I'm 60. My bottom is bottomed out. I got hair growing out of my ears. I got so many liver spots, people think I'm tan. I dye my hair to hide the gray. Nitroglycerin always starts my day. Everything gives me gas, just feed me brand. I'm 60. I'm in my second childhood years. I become an adolescent. I'm starting to like Britney Spears. The girls still chase me. Oh, yeah, they chase me quite a lot. But it turns out they're nurses with my B12 shot because I'm 60. girls to chase me. My wife says I'm perfect. We make love almost every day. Almost Monday, almost Tuesday, almost Wednesday. Yeah, just got back from our second honeymoon, Viagra Falls. Doctor said, John, you better be careful with this Viagra. It could cause a fatal heart attack. I said, if she dies, she dies. Wish I got frequent flyer miles each time my brain goes on a trip. I can't even remember again the words to this song. My smile is still first class. Each night I keep it in the glass. 
Hey, if you're as old as I am, sing along. Sing it with me. We're 60. Let's race our walkers across the floor. We're 60. My skin don't fit me anymore. I can deal with my lumbago. My vocals help my sight. But I'm way behind on sleeping. I get up to go five times a night because I'm 60. This could be my last show. Funny stuff there from John Davidson, 60 Sucks. It is a 10-year-old song at this point uh, from his album. What was that album called? It's available at his website, johndavidson.com. The album, do-do-do-do, Going Like 60, and it's spelled X, uh, S-I-X-T-A-Y, exclamation point, Going Like 60. And, of course, everybody go see John Davidson at the Snapple Theater Center in the Fantastics, or if you happen to be in Barnegat, New Jersey, right after the thanks, uh, the Fantastics, you can go see him in Man of La Mancha. So, yeah, John Davidson going like 20, even though he's 70. And very, very happy to have him in the neighborhood. Happy to have all of you with us listening to the show on this Saturday morning, June 2nd, 2012. Want to let you know that uh, this show exists Thanks to uh, the folks who sponsor this radio station and my particular program, Dave's Gone By. Want to let you know, first of all, that uncradio.com is sponsored in part by Marquee Magazine, an independent Colorado magazine covering the regional live music scene in print and online. It has the region's most thorough concert calendar designed for music freaks by music freaks. More information available on the web at marqueemag.com, the marquee live for live music. And remember, it's Marquee Mag, M-A-R-Q-U-E-E-M-A-G, marqueemag.com. And speaking of music, uh, most of the uh, the shows that UNC Radio is involved with have kind of uh, come and gone where we're waiting for the fall stuff. But I do want to let you know that Florence and the Machine are coming to Red Rocks on July 25th. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers going to be at the Pepsi Center already in the fall on September 27th. And yes, we are helping to sponsor the Greeley Blues Jam presented by the City of Greeley and the Greeley Chamber of Commerce. That's June 8th and 9th. It's next weekend, the Greeley Blues Jam featuring Jimmy Vaughn, Soul Rebel Brass Band, Otis Taylor, Mary Bridget Davis, uh, Eddie Turner, and Backport Stage and Blues 101. It all starts in downtown Greeley on June 8th and then moves to Island Grove on Saturday, June 9th. So, well, for Saturday, I'll expect you'll all be listening to my radio show. But uh, other than that, do check out the Greeley Blues Jam right here in Greeley, northern Colorado. Now, as far as the people who help my show every single week... My sponsors include Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Minuteman right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island. It's about two blocks 
from the Hewlett train station. It's across the street from the big old Lomans, and there's, a, I think, a Burger King right on the corner there, too. So it's easy to get to if you're in the south shore of Long Island, and they do great, good-quality, well-priced, and uh, good work in a reasonable turnaround time. And they've been doing it for quite a few years, and... If you tell them Dave sent you, you get 10% off any copy job, big or small, at Ulit Minuteman Press. That's why they are the copy kings. And it's not just Xerox copies, color and black and white. They also do printing. They can put your design or your company's logo on everything from a pencil to a calendar to a mug to a golf ball. You name it, that's the kind of thing they do. Also, if you're doing holiday cards or business cards, you let Minuteman Press, the copy kings, give them a buzz on Monday. They'll be back. It's 516-569-5577. That's their number, 516-569-5577 for you let Minuteman Press. Dave's gone by. Is also brought to you by TotalTheater.com. It's a place to go absolutely for free to read about the Broadway theater. There's hundreds of theater reviews on there from Broadway, off-Broadway, all around the country, all around the world, and a lot of things from places like Los Angeles and Milwaukee and Broadway, off-Broadway, all free. Just go to the Criticopia section of TotalTheater.com. And if you go... To the Periodica section, that's where you can read articles and interviews about theater. And especially with the Tonys coming up in just a, you know, just a week from now, you definitely want to give TotalTheater.com a look. Now, if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're really into theater in a big way and you want to know the in-depth information about the stages of New York, get yourself Performing Arts Insider Theater Journal. It's a hard copy magazine. I was going. To, I was just about to say, PerformingArtsInsider.com, and that is the website to find out more about it. But it's not an online thing. You know, this is something you get in the mail. You read at your desk. You can read on the train going in, and it's the nice thing about that. I mean, everybody, of course, is used to the internet, and you click here and you click there, and it's it's fine. But suddenly, you have ten windows open, and you're googling for this and you're searching for that. Whereas, you take Performing Arts Insider, you open it up, you look for the alphabetical listing that you want or the chronological listing that you want. If you're trying to find out when a Broadway show is opening or closing, when a cast is changing, how do you contact? The actors, the designers, the producers, the press agents, the managers, it's all in the pages of Performing Arts Insider. The pages about the stages. i, I got to work on that. I'm trying to think as I speak of what kind of good catchphrase I could have for Performing Arts Insider. But I, I guess I could say New York Stages on our pages where uh, it's been around since the 1940s, and it has been the Bible of Broadway. It's not cheap. It's a pretty expensive publication. But the people who use it renew it for years and years. They swear by it. It's used by professionals in the entertainment um, industry, the talk show, the radio shows, performingartsinsider.com to find out about more. I also want to give a shout-out to Jeff Goodman, the proprietor of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. If you're having a party in the tri-state area and you want to make it look great, contact Jeff 
Goodman, 516-776-0600. 516-776-0600. Let's say you want your party to look like, well, the New York Mets, now that they've had their very, very first no-hit game, and you want to honor the Mets and Johan Santana and whatever, well, yeah. Or if you're a dyed-in-the-wool Yankee fan, you can have your party look like the Yankees, or the Hunger Games, or the Avengers, or whatever. Pick a movie. And Jeff, Star Wars, Jeff can make your party look like that. Your bar mitzvah, your breast, your christening. He can do weddings, too. It's, he calls the company Fancy Schmancy Balloons, but he isn't like he's sitting there doing balloon animals. He's making archways. He's decorating. There's centerpieces on the tables. Plus, if you need to be hooked up, with a caterer, with a florist, with a DJ, the, all the people to help make your party great. Jeff can put it all together. So give him a call, 516-776-0600. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy affair? It is 11.50 in the morning, Mountain Time, here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and you are listening to Dave's Gone By. And it is time to go inside Broadway for news of the Rialto, especially with the Tony Awards happening just seven days, well, seven and a half days away. Let's talk about some other awards, though. You know, the drama desks are happening in a day or two or three, as are the Theater World Awards. Those are taking place on Tuesday, June 5th at Broadway's Belasco Theater. The winners of this year's Theater World Awards, which are given to newcomers, it basically honors people who are making their first big splash on Broadway. So those include Tracy Bennett in End of the Rainbow, Philip Boykin, who plays Crown in Porgy and Bess, Crystal A. Dickinson from the Broadway comedy drama Clybourne Park, Russell Harvard off-Broadway in Tribes, Jeremy Jordan, who, um, who was in Bonnie and Clyde, that's what he's nominated for, now he's in Newsies, Joaquina Kalukango in a show called Hurt Village, Jennifer Lynn in uh, Chinglish, Jesse oh, Mueller in that uh, much maligned revival of On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever, Hetian Park in two shows, Seminar and also the uh, Tony Kushner play, The Intelligent Homosexual's Guide to Capitalism and Socialism. Chris Perfetti from Sons of the Prophet, Finn Whitrock in Death of a Salesman, and finally Josh Young in Jesus Christ Superstar. And also Stacey Keach will be on hand to present the Dorothy Loudon Award for Excellence to Susan Poorfar in the play Tribes. So yeah, that's all happening on June 5th, the Theater World Awards, hosted, by the way, by Peter Felicia, uh, a good friend of this program and someone I'm hoping to get on next week when we do our special Tony show. Moving off Broadway, Classic Stage Company has announced and solidified its 2012-2013 season. Kind of interesting here. In October, they'll be doing Chekhov's Ivanov, directed by Austin Pendleton, and starring Ethan Hawke about this guy who's, uh, you know, has really nothing wrong in his life, and yet he's still depressed and going through a midlife crisis. It's a comedy, strange drama tragedy. Last time they did it off-Broadway, Kevin Klein was in it. So it should be interesting to see Ethan Hawke in Ivanov at CSC. In February, they are reviving Passion 
1994 musical, Tony-winning musical, by Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine. It's going to feature Melissa Errico and Judy Kuhn and be directed by John Doyle, who's been specializing in these stripped-down Sondheim stagings, although this time, apparently, the actors will not play their own instruments. So, yeah, there will be, a, I guess, a mini-orchestra accompanying Passion in February. And finally... Caucasian Chalk Circle, um, not very often done. Bertolt Brecht play will be done by Classic Stage Company. This one is going to be directed by Brian Kulik, and what's interesting is it will have original music by Duncan Sheik of uh, Spring Awakening and also pop and folk rock music fame. So that is the CSC schedule for this coming season. And let's see, moving even further off-Broadway, all the way to Connecticut, and I think I mentioned this in my interview with John Davidson, coming to Connecticut Repertory Theater in Stores, Connecticut, June 21st through July 12th. It's The Odd Couple, and and there's a definite odd story to it. It's going to star Pat Sajak as Felix Unger. I, I see that. I can actually, if he can act, I can definitely see him doing Felix Unger. But here's the deal. Pat Sajak is co-starring with Joe Moore. Nobody's heard of this around here. But apparently in Hawaii, he has been an anchorman, a TV news guy, for 30 years and really well-known and and beloved there, kind of like a Roger Grimsby of uh, TV news out there. So he and Sajak are going to be doing The Odd Couple in Connecticut. How do they even know each other? Well, apparently they were friends and met when they were both doing a tour of Vietnam. Not not an entertainment tour. They were both <laughs> soldiers doing a tour of duty there. <laughs> I just said duty. Anyway, CRT, Connecticut Rep, is a wing of the University of Connecticut, and it uses guest artists like Pat Sajak and Joe Moore, also students and faculty. Kind of interesting stuff. Uh, nothing really interesting about the odd couple, but if you're a big Wheel of Fortune fan... You know where to be from June until mid-July. Moving back to Broadway, um, just kind of a cute thing involving uh, cute stories and ploys, Spider-Man did not get a Tony nomination for Best Musical. Got a couple of design nominations and may win a few, but it got skunked by the even leap of faith, which the critics hated, most of them, and which only lasted two weeks got a Best Musical Award just because people wanted to be punitive against Spider-Man. Well, the producers are are doing this with a little bit of a wink here. They're hoping to snag a hundred Tonys on next Sunday, June 10th, Tony Day. How are they going to do it? Very simply. Anybody named Tony or Antoinette or Toinette or, or derivations of the name Tony, Tonya, can go to the box office of Spider-Man on this Monday, June 4th, starting at 10 in the morning, and the first 100 people at the Foxwoods Theater will win a pair of tickets for the Sunday matinee, June 10th, Tony Day. So if you're in New York and you're an Anthony, a Tony, a Toinette, whatever, you know, the Tonys were named after Antoinette Perry. So if you have that name, you go to the Foxwoods first thing Monday morning and get on that line, and you're among the first hundred people, you could win, or you will win, a pair of seats to see 
Spider-Man absolutely free. And we all know, I mean, these are, these are not exactly cheap tickets. So, yeah, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm for anybody that uses a little bit of wit and ingenuity to push what they have to push. Let's see, um, speaking, though, of the Tonys, I want to remind everyone and tell you, everything is shaping up for a really wonderful show next Saturday June 9th, the day before the Tony Awards, for our 8th annual Total Theater Tony Award Special. Instead of my usual show, which airs from 10 to 1 Mountain Time, we're going to be on from noon until 4, which is 2 to 6 Eastern Time. So we're going to have four full hours of interviews, trivia, fun, and Music. We've lined up a bunch of critics, as we always do, major critics reporting about the theater in New York and also a couple of people from around the country. We'll be talking to people from the New York Post. Michael Regal, of course, will be with us once again. Um, looks like we've also lined up someone from the Daily News. So that, that we'll have a balance this time, which will be really nice. John Simon, legendary theater critic, has, has said yes on this. So he's going to be part of of the festivities on the uh, Total Theater Tony Award. We'll have trivia. We will also have from the University of Northern Colorado the musical director for the Performing Arts School, Richard Shore, um, you know, becoming a good friend of mine and, uh, as we all know, a very good friend of Rabbi Saul Solomon. Richard Shore is going to co-host an hour or two of the festivities. And, best of all, we will be talking to Tony-nominated actress Spencer Caden. She was in, oh my gosh, I remember her back in the early 1990s, seeing her in Chicago in Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. Then she came to New York. She starred, or, or had a pretty big featured role in Town, and now went off, had a kid, did some other things, and now she's back on Broadway in Don't Dress for Dinner, She's going to be part of the Tony show. She's Tony nominated. We'll be talking to Spencer Caden. So all of that and, of course, a bunch of Tony music. I'm very lucky this year to be getting a bunch of CDs from all the shows. So we'll be hearing songs from Spider-Man, Porgy and Bess, uh, Once, one, the, the uh, kind of skiffle band that backs up One Man, Two Governors, Silence the Musical, the Off-Broadway show, Godspell, plus classic shows, Tony winners from years past, everything from Oklahoma to the Book of Mormon. Don't miss it. Lots of music, lots of talk, lots of fun. Next week, noon to 4 p.m. Mountain Time, right here on uncradio.com, the Total Theater Tony special. Do not miss it. Tell everyone, anybody you know who's interested in theater or even mildly interested in theater and likes a show tune or two, tell them do not miss the Total Theater Tony show next week, June 9th, right here. And let's see, last bit of theater news, another off-Broadway show, um, a very appealing one that I cannot believe was off-Broadway all the way back in 1989. And I remember it because that, that was like the first year or two that I started reviewing theater. And it makes me feel so old. But there's a, a very nice review by Richard Maltby Jr. and David Shire called Closer Than Ever. It's all about just life journeys and people discovering themselves at midlife. Life, love, loss, all that kind of stuff. It, um, 
The new cast that's going to be at the York Theater at St. Peter's from June 5th through June 14th will include Jen Colella, who was in Urban Cowboy, George Dvorsky, Sal Viviano, and Christian Knoll, who was in uh, Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway. So they got some good singers in there. And uh, let's see, I remember, really clearly remember the original cast, which included Sally Mays and uh, Brent Barrett, Richard Muins, and the delightful Lynn Wintersteller, who just did not, I don't know, I thought she would be a much bigger star than, than she went uh, so then she became. Sorry if she's listening, and then, <laughs> and this sounds like a negativity thing. But no, I thought she she was beautiful. She was tall. She had a great voice, great um, whatever. And, and she's done some other stuff, but it just didn't happen. Same thing with Sally Mays. She could, she was in a couple of Broadway shows that flopped, and everybody thought, oh, you know, the next show is going to be Sally Mays' big thing. She'll be the next Faith Prince, and that didn't quite happen. But she's doing cabaret, and there were both. Terrific! If you go get the uh, the cast CD for the original, closer than ever. Let's hear a song from that—a very cool song that that encapsulates the kind of thing that show was about. It's called Life Story. So this is from the original 1989, closer than ever, and maybe it'll whet your appetite to see the York Theater's revival. Let's see, and give a listen. Bimbo and moved to a new 
Rochelle. I raised my son and I had lovers. My choices sometimes take explaining. I'd meet some jock, my friends would scoff. He'd stay a while, I'd drive him off. I kept my space, preserved my turf. Six months, I'd send him back to serve and Not complaining. So now my sons have way through college. I pay tuition like a fine. I'm still this feisty freelance writer. Resume well honed at a well toned 49. I find that getting work. Harder. Each job I want takes more campaigning. And those sweet young things who hire me now, those MBAs making 50 thou, who smile and ask what I have done when they got their jobs from the fights I won. Ah, they should all stay home and have babies. But I'm not Perhaps the most uh, surprising thing about that song is I believe both Richard Maltby Jr. and David Shire are Jewish, and yet they've written about a, a character who doesn't complain, which is unfathomable, really. <laughs> Anywho, that was Lynn Wintersteller in uh, the original off-Broadway cast of uh, Closer Than Ever. So if you want to hear more songs like that one, uh, that's going to be revived at the York Theatre in June, well, this week, June 5th through June 14th. Anyway, before we finish up with Inside Broadway, I do want to give a pretty strong recommendation to a comedy that everybody else absolutely loves. I love some of it, I have to say. It's called One Man, Two Governors, and it's a modern adaptation of an old Carlo Goldoni farce called The Servant of Two Masters. Richard Bean took that and updated it to kind of somewhat 1960s, 70s London, 
And there's no point even in explaining the plot. It has to do with this servant who ends up having two masters and this gangster who is dead but not necessarily really dead except someone but is, is um, taking his place so that she can – you don't want to know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is it's an old-style farce with a lot of uh, – some raunchy jokes, a lot of just goofy slapstick jokes. It's of Benny Hill vintage. And if you like Benny Hill sort of stuff, and if you also like door-slamming, crazy, goofy farce, you're going to like the show. And what lifts it at times into the stratosphere is the actor James Corden. He'll probably win the Tony. I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't be disappointed. He plays the servant, and he's one of those, what the, the Italian commedia art people would say he's a lotso. He is the clown. He's the guy who gets out there and doesn't even matter what the story is at one point. He just goofs with the audience, plays with the story, goes with it. And he, one of the most important things that he does, and it doesn't always work with comedians and actors, but it looks like he's having the most fantastic, hilarious time on stage. He's up there. You know, it's, it's one thing when you, you see a performer and it's like, well, they're having a lot more fun up there than I am. But his is contagious. You watch him and he really looks like he's laughing at everything he's doing. And, and you, you cannot help but start laughing with him. And it's one of those things where he'll say something, it isn't even that funny. And you start laughing because he makes it alive and vibrant and funny. My one real problem with One Man, Two Governors is, first of all, the first act is really hilarious, which means that it leaves no place for the second act to go, but a little bit downhill. Second act is comparatively disappointing because the first act is so wonderful. And they could make the second act better, but they don't give James Corden enough to do. He kind of um, <laughs> he kind of blows his wad, as it were, in the first act with a lot of wild, fun stuff and stuff that is improv and some stuff that you think is improv but actually isn't and couldn't be, um, but he pulls it off. So that, that's that's my only thing. I would say, hey, if, if you ever get a chance, because it's already a big hit. It was a hit in London, so they're not going to change anything, but... Yeah, if I if I were the editor on this project, I'd say, hey, you know, you, you've got your go-to guy. You've got your Babe Ruth there, and he's conquering the first act. Put him in the second act a little more. Give him more to do. Don't, don't, don't spend all this time on the other characters. Put him in there. So that, that's my main criticism, which, which really makes for a pretty positive review for One Man, Two Governors. It's playing at the Music Box Theater in an open run. Um... Let's see. Oh, and, and a little shout-out to Tom Eden. He's actually Tony-nominated for his role in, in what could be an almost offensive thing. You know, it's funny. John Davidson was goofing about getting older. Well, Tom Eden plays this incredibly decrepit, almost retarded-looking waiter. It's as if he had a stroke 20 years ago, hasn't gotten over it, but he still has to be a waiter. And he's falling over things, and he's getting pushed into things, and he has this just seeing him. The first time, the first five times you look at him, he's so hysterically funny to look at, you, you, you can't get over it. So that's another reason to go catch One Man, Two Governors at the Music Box Theater. It is 12.12 in the afternoon. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. You're listening to Dave's Gone By. Around this time every week, we honor Bob Dylan, the one, the only. Now, he got a bigger honor than this program could ever give him this past week because... 
President Obama himself gave Bob Dylan the Congressional Medal of Freedom. I guess it's the highest honor a civilian can get in America for Bob Dylan's music and contribution to culture and the way he changed the world, the 60s, music, fashion, style, songwriting, singing, performance, everything, thought, poetry. Bob Dylan had a hand in the the cataclysmic reshaping of the second half of the 20th century. And the fact that he's still with us and making music and sometimes really good music into the 21st century is pretty bloody amazing. And so um, the, the one funny thing, of course, about Dylan receiving this important honor well, it was nice that he showed up, you know, and he, and he looked pretty, he groomed his beard pretty well, but he was wearing sunglasses throughout the whole ceremony. Now, I assume Bob Dylan is not blind or going blind. You know, he's, he's getting older. He's getting up there. But, I mean, was it a style statement? Was it a hipness quotient statement? Was he worried about blinking into the big lights? But he doesn't wear those sunglasses on stage generally when he's performing. So I don't know what his deal was. Maybe he's just being, uh, well, he's just being Bob. But that led to, and this is, this is so unbelievably cool, that led to an article in the, let me find it, where was this? Uh, the Gothamist, thegothamist.com, capped its week devoted to Bob Dylan's stuff by, um, by picking out ten of Bob Dylan's goofiest moments. In other words, um, these are times throughout his life and career when he behaved in ways that were just eccentric and nutty and strange. And so we're going to go through it. We're going to do a kind of different Bob Dylan sooner and later segment this time instead of just running the songs through. We're going to go through uh, ten... Should I I start with ten or should I start with one? Um, Yeah, let, let me count down from ten. So the first one that they mention, is the release of the Self-Portrait album. Now, you have Bob Dylan, the most important rock singer-songwriter out there, unless who separated Lennon and McCartney, made these extraordinary albums, changed the folk music scene, changed the rock music scene. Then he has an accident and goes into Big Pink and deals with the band. Then he starts putting out some country music, and people were really flummoxed when he put out a two-record set of songs, covering a lot of different artists, everything from like Blue Moon to Simon and Garfunkel, songs that very often did not suit him at all, only a couple of original tunes on the Self-Portrait Collider, just a very, very strange, I can't say that it's underrated, a lot of it is pretty bad, but there are some wonderful things on it if you, if you get to hear Copper Kettle, but since we're honoring Bob Dylan at his goofiest stage, let's hear a song from the uh, the self-portrait collection. Where is it? It's very catchy, but would you believe that the man who wrote Like a Rolling Stone, Chimes of Freedom, Subterranean Homesick Blues, all of these songs, also wrote Wigwam.
Bob Dylan at his strangest. Um, I mean, it's a certainly a catchy song, but uh, rather interesting, his, his Kermit the Frog warble there on Wigwam from Self-Portrait. That was number 10 on the list of Gothamist goofiness of Bob strange Bob Dylan moments in his life and career. We move to number 9 when they mention a movie he did. Now, Bob Dylan, apart from documentaries about him, of course, there was the great Scorsese documentary and Don't Look Back and then parts of Eat the Document. But when Bob Dylan actually took his turn behind the camera, never really had very good luck or in front of it as an actor. Uh, People, you know, there, there was... Some people like Masked on Anonymous. I'm not particularly familiar with it. But he also did a film called Hearts of Fire, where he played the love interest of a British singer or, or singer and model named Fiona. This was back in the mid-1980s. Yeah, not, not something to remember. I don't know if they even put that one out on DVD. I'd be curious to see it as an artifact. But apparently Bob Dylan just he, he was not the next... Tom Hanks or the next Jack Nicholson. He's sort of just, you know, some guy who happens to be Bob Dylan wandering through a film. So, anywho, that was number nine, Hearts of Fire, Dylan's appearance in that. And then for number eight, um, this I didn't even know about until I read the list. Back in the 1980s, when Dylan was really sort of foundering and didn't, sometimes did not know what to do with himself, as he's acknowledged in interviews. I mean, he was Bob Dylan, he had the backlog of work, and he could do concerts, but there was a point when he was thinking of giving it up, of joining the Grateful Dead. You know, he was just just a little bit lost, even though occasionally he'd still put out an amazing song. But he was also trying, I guess, to keep his ears in tune with what was going on musically around him. And um, that's unfortunate in some circumstances. The production values on some of his 1980s albums have that awful 1980s production sheen. And he was listening to um, rap. I mean, he was in some ways one of the earliest rappers, if you go back to Subterranean Homesick Blues. But I, I don't know how this happened, why it happened, but he ended up being a guest cameo artist on a Curtis Blow song. Yeah, I okay. It's called Street Rock, and Dylan is only in the very first part of it, and then his, his same lyrics are used again later on. I don't know if he wrote them. I know it's a combination thing with Curtis Blow. I also know that this song called Street Rock is nine minutes long, and I'll be damned if I'm going to play all of it, but... If you want to hear Bob Dylan really trying to rap circa 1980s, this is what he sounded like. I'm indulging high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia, keeping constant research of our reports in news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia, and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer, and the needy's getting needier.
war. With only a stock to not get ready for more. We've been dancing on the streets of fun, stumbling blocks, but now build black all to a stop. Enthusiasm, your tuition, then listen, your ambition. <laughs> yes, the there's, there's more. Build blacks, mission. Three funky beats that will cure the ill. Here's a prescription for you, so go ahead, rip up the will. Because he's a terminator, dead body cremator, intimidating physical dead cuts. Okay, he's a father of song, committing you to his goal with Curtis Blow by his side. I would roll, but when it comes to rap, you better pay your respect. Cause I'm a high board broker, answer that project. So call me Octopona, babies. Roll me your ladies. Interpretator, fetocated, rhymes to babies. He's sent the minds of young through books from libraries and teaching them actual facts to my things. Tongue is in the basement, mixing up the mega saying, I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. Well, there you go. That's that's Curtis Blow and Bob Dylan. But later in the song, around the six-minute mark, Bob Dylan shows up again. I think they're just using the same loop of the words that he was he started the song off with. So now we're going to hear um, how that actually sounds when Curtis Blow put it to the same rap beat that we've been hearing. Let's, let's slide into it. It's about a minute, half a minute away. I guess you were an important rapper, but really, really, that is that the the height of hubris trading um, words, lyrics. They probably weren't even in the same. They couldn't have been in the same room at the time doing this song. So, I mean, having half the line spoken, sung by Sprach, sung by Bob Dylan, and then by Curtis Blow, so that you can't really tell when one is stopping and one is starting. I'll play that little bitty uh, nugget again. Not that we really need to hear it, but uh, well, I think we really need to hear it. Here's Bob Dylan trading a verse of sorts with Curtis Blow. Of my people to do speedy with Cassava, Ethiopia, and we are getting greedy of the 
Yeah. Number <laughs> number eight on uh, the goofiness list from the Gothamist, Bob Dylan and Curtis Blow trading rap on street rock. That leads us to number seven, and you can actually see this one on YouTube, where uh, Bob Dylan was a guest. I don't know how they got him. I think he was a friend of one of the writers or the producers. But there was an episode, <clears throat> excuse me, of the TV show Dharma and Greg, if you remember, with Jenna Elfman and the guy from, uh, oh, not CSI, but the, the murder one, Criminal Minds. And um, for some reason, she's a drummer and singing with a band, and the lead rhythm guitarist, well, he can't be both, but, but sitting there playing the guitar and leading the band is Bob Dylan. It's a very, very strange, completely unexpected moment. Um, you know, I, it's okay. He doesn't sing, unfortunately. They just go into a couple of jams and riffs with Jenna Elfman on the drums. Not sure why. It's not, a, not quite as memorable a moment as when, um, what was that other, the Paul Reiser show where, where they're in Yoko Ono's apartment, which that, that was pretty memorable. But okay, Bob, someone was wise enough to get Bob. And oh, you know what they don't have on the list? Bob Dylan's, Bob Dylan's appearances on the Chabad Telethon. How could they leave those out? And I think those are one of them is available on YouTube too, where he's completely out of tune. He's singing a folk song, and it's it's horrendous. But he's there with a yarmulke on. That didn't even make the top ten of Bob Dylan weird moments, which would <laughs> which would tell you something. Um, the a song that they do mention for number six on their goofiness list comes from Under the Red Sky, one of the most maligned. Bob Dylan albums, somewhat unfairly. I remember uh, interviewing a guy who wrote a scholarly book about Bob Dylan on here, and he said that uh, you know that album has a lot more to it. it. The songs seem really simple and simplistic, and some of them based on nursery rhymes, but there's definitely a lot more going on. And it's a much more listenable album than people give it credit for. So if, if there's a Bob Dylan album that you haven't listened to in a while and that you've just kind of said, ah, there's nothing to that one, check out Under the Red Sky. But you can't blame necessarily the, uh, oh, no, I don't, do I not have it? Did I forget to uh, to put that one on here? Let me see. Um, oh, dear. Just give me a moment. I may have to find it on YouTube to play it. If YouTube is still doing Bob Dylan's... Oh! Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to play the song Wiggle Wiggle. So if I find it while the next song is playing, I, I will play it for you. It's That is not one of the deeper, more profound Bob Dylan songs. It's just a song called Wiggle Wiggle. And that's number six on the goofiness list. Then number five, this one isn't really fair. They should have replaced this one with uh, one of the Chabad appearances by Bob. This is the one where he's at the Grammys in 1998 doing his song. He's doing Lovesick which is one of his best later songs that came off that big comeback on Time Out of Mind. Amazing, amazing song. And he's out there doing it, and suddenly this guy with no shirt on and the words soy bomb written on his chest and stomach starts doing this incredibly weird, freaky 1960s dance, which almost sort of works to the music, but you know he wasn't planted there. You know he just went up there and said, I'm going to do this. And Bob Dylan <laughs> just kind of barely even looks at the guy, just kind of scoots over, finishes the verse, and then, then goes back with the band. And Soy Bomb dances 
Very strange, very strange moment. Anyway, it's worth certainly hearing the song Lovesick from Time Out of Mind. And, and you can picture in your head Soybaum contortioning himself as Bob Dylan sings. I'm walking Through streets that are dead Walking Walking with you in my head My feet are so tired My brain is so wide And the clouds are weeping Did I Hear someone tell a lie Someone's distant cry I spoke like a child You destroyed me with a smile While I was sleeping I'm sick of love That I'm in the thick of it This kind of love I'm so sick of it I see I see lovers in the meadow
silence can be like thunder. Sometimes I wanna take to the road and plunder. Cause you ever be true? I think of you. I'm sick of love I wish I'd never met you I'm sick of love I'm trying to forget you Just don't know what to do I'd give anything to be with you Great song, right? But how strange that that song shows up twice on the Gothamist list of Bob Dylan's most goofy moments. First of all, because that was the song that Soy Bomb danced to on the 1998 Grammys. And then, let us not forget, number four on the top ten goofy moments list, counting down, that that was the song that was used when Bob Dylan appeared in the Victoria's Secret ad. Yeah, Dylan, I mean, Dylan made no bones about being a showman and a song and dance man. So when people say, oh, he sold out, da, da, da. I mean, I remember... uh, Googling and, and looking for Dylan's stuff and finding that he had done a uh, a print ad for chainsaws, like for, for lumberjack chainsaws of the Husqvarna company 20, 25 years ago. And it's this insane thing. You actually see a picture of Bob Dylan with one of those construction helmets on his head, a safety helmet, and, and a chainsaw next to him. And he said, well, when I used chainsaws, I used Husqvarna. <laughs> Most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. He needed money, I guess, wanted some money, and he would lend his name to, I guess, a pretty good chainsaw. So for Bob Dylan to lend his name to a Victoria's Secret ad and his music, well, okay, sure, why not? But the fact that he appeared in the ad this weird, slow, black-and-white ad, and you've got a uh, supermodel, I don't know if she's a supermodel, she's a model, Adriana Lima, kind of swanning about. And it's the strangest thing, because it's, it's, if you're into Dylan, you, know, you kind of just want to see Dylan, and it doesn't work as softcore porn, because if you want to watch this hot supermodel, and you want to get your tissues and do your thing, you know, you're afraid to, because the second you might blow, there's Bob Dylan's face. And no, nobody wants to see <laughs> so it, it is number four on the goofiest moments of Bob Dylan's career. But what I have also seen, and this is hysterical, in Googling or YouTubing, I should say, for Wiggle Wiggle, the song that's on um, Under the Red Sky, there's a band. I, I'm going to play. I'm going to play the Bob Dylan Wiggle Wiggle, I promise. But there is a band called Shitty Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a cover band. They're the only cover band, it says, that specializes in 1980s Bob Dylan covers. And they, they actually do. It's, it's on here. I'll, I'll look at it later. A, um, their version of Wiggle Wiggle. But just the idea of a band calling itself 
shitty Dylan is quite wonderful. And, and I guess they're saying that, well, most of Bob Dylan's 80s music, a lot of it, was, well, in that realm. But let, let's see if I can play for you a bit of Dylan himself doing the song Wiggle Wiggle. Let's see if I play, I gotta play this off YouTube. I hope that um, the powers that be an ass cap have to do Oh, there we go. Yeah! Get ready to wiggle!
tree. Why not me? Across the swamp of time. My mind weaves a symphony and tapestry of rhyme. Oh, winds which rush my tail to thee. So it may flow and be. To each his own. It's all unknown. If dogs run free. You know, that one didn't even make the top ten either, the top ten goofiest moments of Bob Dylan's career. They mentioned that in the Gothamist article that runs down the top ten strangest moments in Bob Dylan's uh, life and work. But that was If Dogs Run Free from New Morning, kind of a an unforgettably weird song, kind of cool actually, from Bob Dylan. Well, cool in a really weird way. Anywho, we also heard... Lovesick, as I said, which was uh, which took up two notches on the Gothamist list. And speaking of two notches, self-portrait figured in again at number three. We mentioned that as that first one, when uh, just the mere release of that album was was kind of weird and goofy, considering all the work Bob Dylan had done before. Well, self-portrait figures again because the guys. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but there's a show on TV called. Porn stars, P A W N, and you know they they come in and they people want to sell them things and they decide whether not to buy it or how much they want to pay, etc. and so forth. Well, one of the stars of Porn Stars was outside one of the uh, events they were having, and Bob Dylan happened to be there, so he ran out with his copy of Self Portrait and had Dylan sign it. And there's like pictures of Bob Dylan just signing this guy's album on TV. Very weird. Um, and actually, I don't know if that really belongs. I don't know if that trumps if dogs run free or certainly the Chabad appearances to be number three on the Bob Dylan all-time goofiness list. But number two is beyond. Number two, and I remember this. This was like two years ago. Bob Dylan was roaming around Long Branch, New Jersey, apparently looking for Bruce Springsteen's childhood home. He, he apparently does that. He goes to places like Neil Young's home and, and some of the 50s rock and rollers just to, I guess, stomp around, see what it feels like there, if there's something different or something in the air, or, well, who knows why 
Bob Dylan does anything he does. Anyway, he wasn't dressed for the stage. He was dressed like a weird, very strange, almost homeless mental case character, which, let's face it, Bob Dylan weren't uh, a superstar singer-songwriter. He probably would be. But a patrol woman saw this guy wearing, according to her, she was wearing black, he was wearing black sweatpants, black rain boots that were, um, and he had two raincoats that he was wearing. Not one, but two raincoats with the, the um, sleeves, not the sleeves, well, the, the pants of the raincoat tucked into the rain boots. And he had his hood pulled down, and he was acting very weird and suspicious. Surprise? And uh, did not realize, she started talking to the guy, he had no identification. She said, what was he there for? He said, well, you know, he's on tour with his band, and he's been living on the tour bus, it was just down the road. Yeah, right. She puts him in the patrol car, still not even recognize him, because as she said, well, he didn't look like he looked on those album covers. I'm like, yeah, okay. Anyway, there's no song, unfortunately, to go with that incident, but it was a true incident of Bob Dylan in Long Branch, New Jersey, a couple of years ago that uh, you never know, that, that vagrant wandering around looking shady and suspicious and dangerous may in fact be the most important singer-songwriter of our era. Or he may not. You know, you could approach him and get knifed and raped. You, you, you pay your money, you take your choice. But uh, in that case, that was our number two on the Gothamist goofy Bob Dylan moments. And then number one, the song itself, kind of fun, kind of goofy. It's really just a cover of a Brave Combo cover of a holiday song. But if you see the video, well, the video is kind of interesting. Uh, it's kind of a raucous, fun, festive, holiday, musical Christmas video with Bob Dylan in it, and Bob Dylan somewhat prominent, and Bob Dylan wearing for no particular reason a very strange, stringy-haired, straight-haired wig, and, and occasionally a Santa hat. That is reason enough to make it number one on the goofiness list and as we hear, Bob Dylan doing Must Be Santa. Who's got a beard that's long and white? Santa's got a beard that's long and white. Who comes around on special night? Santa comes around on special night. Special night, beard that's white. Must be Santa. Must be Santa. Santa, Santa Claus. Who wears boots and suit of red? Santa wears boots and suit of red. Who wears a long cap on his head? Santa wears a long cap on his head. Cap on his suit of red. Special night, beard that's white. Must be Santa, must be Santa, must be Santa, Santa Claus. Who's got a big red cherry nose? Santa's got a big red cherry nose. Who laughs this way? Who?
Asher Dancer, Donder Blixen, Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon. Okay, I, I it belongs on the list. I don't know if that would be my number one Bob Dylan weirdness, strangeness moment, but it, it would be up there, that's fair. And it occurs to me, they left out, now that I think about it, they really could have done a top 20 Dylan insane moments. Let's not forget he was baptized in Billy Graham's pool. I mentioned the Chabad appearances. They didn't mention... Masked and anonymous, not to mention Ronaldo and Clara, his four-hour. I, I think they mentioned it in the article, but it didn't make the top ten. He's uh, and and then and then just last year, a few months ago, he painted these paintings that were in a New York gallery that were based on his trips to the the East, you know, Japan and China and Korea, and kind of interesting paintings, you know, a bit of Dylan's style. And then people realized he was actually copying other people's paintings of Japan and Korea and Asia. So, you know, I hope Dylan lives another 30, 40, 50 years so that he gives us more music but more insane, strange Bob Dylan moments as we celebrate Dylan here on Dave's Gone By in our expanded Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment. Hope you enjoyed. I can give you a Sort of a list. I wasn't really keeping track of the Dylan songs that we played in there, but I think Lovesick was in there, Wigwam from Self-Portrait, Street Rock, his duet with Curtis Blow, and Must Be Santa. And did we hear anything else? Oh, and If Dogs Won't Run Free. That was kind of a little special I threw in there for you. Well, it is almost time to end the show. I can't believe it. The, the time just flies. We're not going to have time for our uh, other Saturday segue of show tunes. But that's all right. You'll hear plenty of theater music next Saturday when I do my Total Theater Tony special. It'll be the eighth annual one of these that we have done. We did them in New York for about six years. Now we've been doing them at UNC. It's interviews with critics, major New York critics, about the season. We'll have a couple of critics also from around the country to talk about theater in their neck of the woods. Also, we'll be talking to Tony-nominated actress Spencer Caden about her role in Don't Dress for Dinner on Broadway, plus trivia, questions, a lot of fun, UNC musical director Richard Shore will join us. If you want to find out what's going to be on the Big Tony show that we're having next Saturday from noon to 4, just go to my website, davesgoneby.com, D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y.com, davesgoneby.com. That is also the place to hear older episodes of the show. As a matter of fact, if you wait a day or two and you check davesgoneby.com, this episode, assuming that um, you know there weren't any technical difficulties in the recording, you can go back and hear this show or tell your friends, hey, he did this crazy Bob Dylan segment or the John Davidson interview was really cool. Whatever it was, whatever draw you, drew you to it, 
You just click, you can either get um, it going into your iPod or your hard drive, or just stream it right on your computer, davesgoneby.com. Just go to the homepage and scroll down, and you'll see all our archives going back to the very beginning, all the way back to October of 2002. If you want to drop me an email, davesgoneby at aol.com is the way to do it, and that'll get you on our mailing list as well. Let's see, I've got a Facebook page. It's Radio Dave 2 is my moniker there. So I also update the Facebook as best I can. Don't really use it the way I ought to because we use the MySpace page for our playlists. I would do it on Facebook. I know nobody uses MySpace anymore, but they're the ones with the blog. Facebook still doesn't have a blog. So I keep them both going. Check our MySpace page, myspace.com. Search for Dave's Gone By. And of course... Uh, Although he did not have time to prepare anything for this week, Rabbi Saul Solomon should be taking part next week in our Tony show. And for those who missed his show, Shalom Dammit, when it played in New York for a few days in March, he's looking to bring it back in August. We should hopefully have the... um, the set dates and the place and the time and all of that and how you get tickets by next show, by next week when we do our Tony show. So look for Shalom Dammit with Rabbi Saul Solomon coming back to New York in early August. To keep apprised of Saul Solomon, go to shalomdammit.com, shalom, D-A-M-M-I-T, And also make sure to put Rabbi Saul Solomon on your Twitter for his Twitter tweets, his kosher tweets, I guess I would say. Um, I don't know, that's not even funny, but it sounds funny, so I said it anyway. Rabbi Saul Solomon's kosher tweets at um, Rabbi Saul Solomon on Twitter. I think that takes, oh, we've got to do the, the friends of the neighborhood, forgot all about that. Want to remind you that uh, you just have a couple more days to see Jane Sibri on tour. She's opening for Katie Lang on Katie's national tour. So um, hope that that tour went really well and successfully for them both. TJ and Dave, those uh, very fine improv guys who were here a couple of years ago, you end up seeing um, Dave on those Sonic commercials. He's sort of the pudgy white guy who who tans too much. Well, anyway, TJ and Dave work together. They've been in Chicago for years, and they do long-form improv. They build it very slowly, and they're very, very funny. They're back at the Barrow Street Theater at 27 Barrow Street just this weekend, uh, up through June 4th. Michael Weller has um, a play. A play of his is being revived, actually. It's called 50 Words at the 45th Street Theater, and it's playing from June 1st to June 17th. And everybody catch Maud Maggart at Feinstein's at Lowe's Regency. Her new cabaret evening is called Into the Garden, and you can catch it uh, June 5th through June 16th at Feinstein's, and let's see, also, Gary Lucas, the fine guitarist and former semi-manager of Captain Beefheart, he's going to be, this sounds really, really cool, he's going to be at the 6th Street Synagogue, that's, you know, East 6th Street and 1st Avenue, on June 7th, and he's going to be accompanying a film, a silent film of the Golem on acoustic guitar, because Gary you know, uh, spends time, he does rock music, he does kind of really spiky sort of jazz music, and he also does some Jewish and modern Jewish music. So he's going that route, playing accompaniment with the golem on solo, solo guitar 
on June 7th, and that is at the 6th Street Synagogue. Guys, it's hard to keep all these S's going. Anyway, I want to let you know that Tim Ward, who is the author of the book Savage Breast, we had him on one Mother's Day back in 2006, he's got a new book called Zombies on Kilimanjaro, A Father-Son Journey Above the Clouds. And now it's no actual zombies involved. It's one of these rites of passage books and tells about Tim Ward's visit to the mountains of Kilimanjaro with his own son. So uh, check that out, Zombies on Kilimanjaro by Tim Ward. Everybody, go see Linda Lavin on Broadway in The Lions. She's hysterical. See Jake Ehrenreich in A Jew Grows in Brooklyn at the Jackie Onassis Theater on West 46th Street in Manhattan. Carrie Hoffman, still doing My Sinatra at Sophia's, and also at Sophia's, Christine Petty is doing Musical and Miss Abigail's Guide to Dating, Mating, and Marriage. Subscribe, everyone, please, to drdemento.com. He's still doing brand new shows, so you can hear them every single week. Just go to the website, and he also plays extra stuff that he could never get away with when he was on terrestrial radio. And a big congratulations to Alan Sherstool. I mention him every week because he has that hilarious studies and crap column that he's doing in San Francisco Weekly, where he's an editor there. It turns out he's just been appointed the new film editor for the Village Voice chain. He's going to be the film editor for like 13 different papers of The Voice. So yeah, I mean, The Voice has been going downhill steadily for the past couple of years. Maybe Alan can, uh, can turn it around. And it couldn't happen to a better or brighter guy. So mazel tov to Alan Scherstuhl on that. Everybody, um... Oh, let me give a, a shout-out to Jamie DeRoy, the producer and also the cabaret hostess. She wrote um, to say that when she got the news about John Davidson being on this program, she said, quote, wow, that album cover took me back. Because if, if you were, got the Dave's Gone by emails, you saw the uh, this cover, obviously, I guess, um, maybe an RCA record from late 60s, early 70s of John Davidson with that gray hair and the toothy grin. And it just you know, just looking at an old album cover does something to people if you're over, say, 40. There's just something about it. Anyway, and everybody see Perfect Crime at the Snapple Theater Center. And that takes care of the Friends of the Neighborhood. It is 1.03 in the afternoon. Before I send you off, let me give you a little look at the weather. It's going to be... Um, the high will get up to about 83 degrees today. It's already in the mid-70s. And then it's just going to get a bit warmer with a chance of little thunder or thunder showers here and there over the next couple of days. In fact, tomorrow, Sunday through Wednesday, they're almost going to be carbon copies of each other. The only bad news is that the high will go into the low 80s, uh, or the high 80s and the low 90s. So it'll be a little bit uncomfortable at times, certainly in the sun, but you know, still amazingly gorgeous northern Colorado weather as we get closer and closer to the summer and to the solstice and all that. So anyway, yeah, the, today the high will be 81, only going down to the uh, mid and high 50s at night. So it's really going to stay kind of really comfortable and pleasant up until it gets into those high numbers in the heat of the day. Anyway, last quickie reminder for you. I will not be here next Saturday at 10 a.m. I will not be here at 11 a.m., but you can bet your bippy, as it were, that I will be here at noon for the 8th Annual Total Theater Tony Special. Four full hours of theater music, trivia, 
interviews and fun. Not to be missed, and uh, not much else to say about it. Just tell everybody you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm always excited about it, and we always get great guests, and we always have fun, but, but I think this one's going to be... I want to knock wood because I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm, I'm really excited about this one. That's all I can say. So come join me next Saturday at noon Mountain Time to Eastern for a very special edition of Dave's Gone By. Now, we leave this particular edition of the show. I was I play a show tune. Mm, I don't know. I was going to do a whole segue of them, but I ran out of time. Should I play another John Davidson track? Maybe another very strange Bob... Oh, yeah, let me do a, a, another really strange Bob Dylan song. It kind of goes like... Well, well, sorry, I clicked in the wrong place. It goes like this. Heartland. <laughs> I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Have a great weekend, everybody. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. You know you want to sing along. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. Stomp those feet. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Have a good weekend and gone by. Sing it. In the heart of the heartland, I grew up in Iowa. Not getting the rhythm here. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. Everybody. Okay, that's 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 enough. No, it isn't. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in the heart of the heartland. I grew up in Iowa. I've indulged in high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia. Keeping constant research of our reports and news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia, and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer, and the needy's getting needier.